Mizpah, and we're excited to have Mark here with us today. Mark was actually with us with his wife, Anne, a few weeks ago in October, and as you see them over here, you're like, oh, yeah, I met them, and they lied to me about why they were here. They just said they were visiting, Um, and they were. They were just visiting, checking out the church and the community and meeting some people, and we were glad to be able to host them uh, back in October, and we're super glad to be able to host them today as uh, a, a candidate for this position. Mark is uh, currently serving as a bivoc- bivocational pastor uh, at a church outside of Dover, Delaware. So Delaware is in between Maryland and Pennsylvania, right? I think that's where Del- Delaware is, uh, on the coast. And um, he, uh, he's been there for some time. Trinity Church of Smyrna is the name of that church. He's been there since he got out of seminary in about 2010 or 11. Uh, Mark's originally from Tennessee. He has a Master of Divinity from Virginia Beach Theological Seminary, and his bachelor's degree is from Northland International University. His wife, Anne, who he met at Northland, is a stay-at-home mom to five boys, so she works harder than he does. And uh, and they're eight years old, about eight months, so you can get some frame of reference as as to where they're at there, so they're in the thick of it. Uh, Anne is originally from South Carolina. So we are super excited to have them here today. Mark's going to be preaching in this service and also in uh, the second service. He'll be camped out in the fireside room uh, between services. I would love to have you go and and shake uh, his hand, get acquainted with him in some way. But uh, he will be our uh, candidate, will host a meeting tonight um, here at the church. They'll be taking off back to Delaware to take care of those five boys. But uh, we're going to spend some time praying for them, praying for our church, answer any questions you have about the process and how we've gotten to this point. But please welcome Mark to the pulpit this morning. Thank you. Well, I am excited to be here this morning. Um, Yeah, so last night I met a couple people, and um, somebody asked me the question, so so how do you feel about ministering with someone shorter than you? (laughs) So um, I I, I said, well, I I feel like it'd be pretty good. Um, But, you know, what? We'll just leave that, leave that where that goes. Um, I'm thankful to be here, like I said. Um, it's, been, it's been a privilege to see how, um, see how God has uh, brought us here um, through the acquaintance uh, that we have with the Ashes, uh, friendship there as they were previously stationed in Dover, um, conversations along the way, um, and now, you know, standing right here. Um, I would like to just take our time and hear, not from me at this point, but hear from God and God's Word about what He would have us as disciples, um, how, how He'd have us live, how He'd have us think, how He'd have us be. And so, um, what is His idea about discipleship? And we've heard from John 15, 1 through 11 so far, and then I'd like you to just turn there and um, we'll kind of be bouncing around a little bit here in John. Uh, but, you know, leading up to this point where Jesus uses this metaphor and, and he's talking to his disciples, what, what's going on? Um, so in John 13, right, we have the, the upper room uh, discourse where it begins where Jesus has said, um, 
you know, to his disciples, go, go prepare the room. Um, it's, it's, they've come together. They're sitting around the table. Um, they, they've, they've relaxed at the table. They've um, had this meal. Jesus gets up from his spot, um, dons a towel, and goes around and washes their feet. And he's, and he's telling them that, you know, um, you see, see what's just happened? The master has taken, taken a step away from his role, and he's served the servants. And, you know, you're going to learn what this means, um, but this is what I want you to do. And then he, he goes through, and there's that interaction where Judas, the betrayer, leaves the room and goes and does what he does. And Jesus continues to talk to his disciples in through um, chapter 14, and he's talking about them, about this new commandment that he's given. And then, um, they, you know, they back and forth, a little conversation. Philip's asking him questions and uh, asking him for some clarity. And, and then Jesus, you know, um, goes through and says some more things. And then at the end of chapter 14, he says, all right, let's, let's get up and go from here. There's, he's on a timeline. He knows where he's going. And so they all get up and they're going someplace. We know in uh, chapter 17, they're going to the Garden of Geth- Gethsemane where Jesus is actually pouring his heart out and prayer to the Father for his disciples, for those who would believe in him through them. Um, and then on the way, he uses this metaphor. And this is just a, you know, just a picture into what Jesus did all the time with his disciples. They walked with him. You know, we, hear, we hear it in the Gospels. He's walking through a grain field and picking grain. And the Pharisees are looking at him. And life happens in the moments with Jesus. And his disciples are all around him. And in this moment where he says, all right, let's get up, they've left the upper room and they're headed to Gethsemane, Jesus is talking to them. And he's kind of sharing his last words, you know. This is, this is a, a friend and uh, a teacher sharing his last little bit, the important stuff with his disciples. And he's heading out to the Gethsemane. And we don't know exactly why Jesus picked this illustration. Maybe he saw it along the way. Maybe, maybe he had already um, planned to pick this, but we do know that when Jesus talks about the vine and the branches and how uh, he is the vine and the Father is the vine dresser and we are the branches, Jesus is specifically bringing to, um, to their minds an illustration they would have heard and known. Israel was, you know, presented and illustrated as this vine and uh, this vineyard, God's vineyard. And Jesus is saying, now, listen, I am the true vine. And so we see in John 15, right there, he says, I am the true vine, verse 1, and my Father is the vine dresser, and every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The metaphor he's using there is it's a unique Unique one. If you've ever, um, if you've had a great, anybody have a grapevine? Anybody ever mess around with grapes? You, do, you, do you enjoy that? Have you ever grafted in another branch from another grape in to try to get something else? I haven't either, but I want to. Um, I have a grapevine back home that's um, now produced grapes two years in a row, and it's been fun. And they never make it inside because we have five boys. But I thought, you know what? I really want to mess around with this. I want to find out what it is to put a different grape in this vine and find out what the product will be. And Jesus is taking this agricultural um, uh, illustration, and he is 
um, really drawing the disciples, his friends, his servants that were his, you know, his kind of little school of, of guys going with him. Now he's going to, in the second half of 15, call them his friends. He's, he's drawing them in and he's saying, listen, this illustration is really what I'm talking about. This, is, this illustration is the important piece about um, where the rest of your life is going to be. And so for us today, I want us to hear Jesus' illustration to his disciples. I want to hear his metaphor and um, allow us to see that this really is where our life is to be. And this really is the last words of uh, Jesus to his disciples, and, and this is the important stuff for us. The metaphor he used there is, is about a branch being grafted into the vine, finding its place in the vine, finding its usefulness, its fruitfulness in the vine, finding its benefit, and really the glory of a branch is to bear fruit, right? And uh, the fruit that comes off the grapevine back home from our fence line that never makes it to the table, that is really enjoyed, is the glory of that branch. But that branch, apart from that vine, has no potential to bear that fruit. And so Jesus has locked in this metaphor for these disciples. And so what's he meaning by this? You know, often, picture in the Old Testament um, uh, is used of Israel and the vine, as we've said. Paul picks that up again a little bit um, in, in Romans. He, he uses this uh, grafting uh, imagery. There's a wild olive that's grafted into the old stump. And Jesus has said to them, this is the intention of him, uh, of his, prior to a full understanding of, of what Christ was going to do in the next 48 hours, he's saying this. This is not, sometimes you can get hung up on an on a illustration like this. It's a metaphor. Um, so we don't want to press it too far. But Jesus is not declaring a treatise on election, but he's placing the ball squarely in the court of God. Uh, John 1 says that it is Jesus who gives us the right to become sons of God, and it is through God that we become a fruitful branch, finding our place in the vine. So this is not, you know, it's not a treatise here that Jesus is trying to explain all the pieces of this, but Jesus is saying, listen, this is my work and I want you, as followers, as um, followers of Jesus, me, to be in me. And I do that piece. And guess what? When you're in me, you bear fruit. And when you're not, you don't bear fruit. You don't have a, a life that can experience the joy of fruit bearing. When you're in me... God gets glory. And when you're not, the branch is worthless. It's, it's, it's not useful. Romans 3 says that before um, we knew God, before that, we were useless. It's like curdled milk, uh, one of the words that's used in Romans 3. We're useless. And Jesus says, you as a branch are worthless. You're useless apart from me. I am where you're going to have life. I am where you're going to find joy. I am what you need. I am the vine. And so as he's walking along, he's made this clear. What does he want to tell them? He wants to tell them that as followers of Jesus, we'll be fruitful people. He wants to tell them that 
to know and understand that God's design for those who are in Christ are that they bear fruit and bring glory to God. He wants them to know and experience fellowship and communion and union with, in our union with Christ. You see, um, disciples, as he says here, are basically, you know, those who are in me, he says in 15, verse 4 and 5, disciples are those who abide in me and bear fruit. It is our union with Jesus Christ that makes us fruitful. It is Ephesians 2, us being made alive in Christ, placed into relationship with Christ that gives us fruitful, fruitfulness. And if you don't know that, uh, uh, that what that means, or if you don't haven't ex- experienced that, if you know, you're new to church, then you need to, you need to know what that means. You need to know what it means to be with Christ, to be in Christ, to have Christ as King, to be a part of a relationship with Him. And if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to be reminded today that it is in this that you find fruitfulness and in this that you find joy. And so our union with Christ is that thing that doesn't change. You know, um, when we are followers of Jesus Christ, we place our faith and trust in him. He makes us new inside. He brings us to life. That doesn't change. But if, if any of you are married, you know that there, it's a good illustration for this. When, when I joined with my wife on an altar similar to this 10 years ago, I looked at her and I said, I'm committed to you, I love you, and that's not going to change. Now, if I kept that statement to that one event, would we have good communion, good fellowship? No, we wouldn't, right? I have to tell her and she has to tell me on a regular basis that we love each other, that we are committed to each other, and we have to abide in that covenant relationship that we've committed ourselves to. It is our union with Christ that is his work, and it is our communion with Christ that we join in. We join in the mutual fellowship with the Father, with Jesus, because we've been placed in the vine. So as disciples, as followers of Jesus, what do we need to think about? What do we need to do based on what he said to his disciples here as they're walking through? He says in verse 7, uh, 5 and 6, and then into 7, he says, listen, you know, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, so there's some of that mutuality going on, you can ask whatever you will, and it will be done to you. But my... By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And that word abide that comes up often, you know, remain in me. Remain in that. It's like a house. If, I, if I'm never at home in my house, um, I won't know when it's dilapidated. I won't know what needs to be fixed, and, and I won't enjoy that. But if I'm at home and in my house, abiding there with her. I know what's going on. I know what needs to be fixed. I know what needs to be maintained. I know I can keep it up. But if you've ever noticed, a house that goes vacant doesn't stay maintained. A house that um, goes vacant or is left alone, the roof deteriorates very quickly. The, the windows get, get bad. There's mildew that grows on the, on the siding. It, it's not maintained. 
But if you're abiding there, if you're living there, a house lived in is, is maintained, and, and houses that are lived in well and maintained well last for generations. Jesus said, in me, you have life. You can bear fruit. When you abide in me, you can bear much fruit, and you can bring much glory to the Father, and you can have fellowship, and you can have lasting, real joy. My work is giving you the right and the ability to become a son of God. Your work is to abide and remain in my love, to have my word in you and speak it back, to pray, commune with me, ask me. I'm the one that produces fruit. I'm the one where you get your life. I'm the one that makes you have the potential to be the human that you were meant to be. Without God, without union with Christ, just like in the garden, you know, we had communion with the Father. And then sin enters the picture. We rebel against God, and our fellowship is broken. And Jesus said, now, because of me, because I am the vine, because I am the Word made flesh, because I give you the right to become sons of God, we can have fellowship again. You can have communion again. You can come back into a relationship that is thriving, that is fruitful, that allows you to be the human you were designed to be. You're not, uh, you're not dominated and bound by the curse of sin any longer. You now have the right and the ability and the fruitfulness to move into real humanity, real joy. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Do we do that? Is that what Galatians says? We don't do that. We can't go, joy, you know, and like produce these things. This happens when we're in communion with our Father through the Holy Spirit. What happens when we're in communion with Jesus through the Word? This is, this is His Word to us. So we soak it up as followers of Jesus. We listen to it. We pray it back. We pray it for others. Philippians is a book about um, you know, a lot of growth process. And in Philippians 1, um, Paul says, listen, I am praying that your love may abound and grow more and more. Jesus' desire is that through this metaphor, he communicates to his disciples, you have got to understand that you need me. You've got to be in me. Listen, as he said earlier in, in 15, you know, you've been washed by the word. And then later he prays that what he has asked the Father and what the Father has given him will come true. That these men would be in him and followers. And we know that that came true, came to be. We see that the communion that Jesus had with his Father and that he invites us into in, in chapter 17 of John. You know, we get this picture of this true fellowship, true communion, true relationship. He's praying, and he's praying the will of the Father, and it's happening. We get the illustration of what he says here to his disciples. So he's praying the word. He's praying the design and the plan of God for these men. He's praying this, and he's submitting to his Father. He's praying this so that these men would become fruitful, and that the fruit would abound to the glory of God. This is the same thing 
for us today as it was for the disciples then. Our life and our, our happiness and our joy is in union with Christ. Without that, we don't have anything else. It's our mutual communion with God that produces much fruit, allows us to be fruitful branches, allows us to be branches that can get pruned and produce more fruit. It allows us to bring glory and honor to God. And what the result of that is, is a a relationship that fills us with joy. Bubble over with joy. You know what? I am confident today that as we hear this metaphor from Jesus, and as we are reminded of our place in Jesus Christ and because of his work in Jesus, we can in confidence move towards him and leave here with a sense of joy. Maybe not uh, situational happiness. <laughs> you know, well, we want, we want to be happy in America. We want to be joyful. We want to be blessed. Um, but God has greater things. And when he says fruit bearing is a good thing and we're excited about that, he also says pruning comes along with it. And so, I want you to know that joy doesn't necessarily equate with happiness in the situation. You may be going through difficulty. You may be going through hardship, but Jesus says, it's your abiding in me. It's my word in you and you praying and this fellowship together. It's our abiding that brings joy. So when we're in the difficulty or the blessing, it's the same thing. It's our abiding relationship with this Jesus Christ that gives us joy. And so, today, disciples are people that bear fruit. Disciples are people that that know know joy. And they've, they've learned this because they're not trying on their own to produce joy because we can't. They've learned this because they're having fellowship with the Father, who, through that, gives us everything we need for life and godliness, everything we need for fruitful lives, um, everything we need to glorify him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But with him, there is deep joy, there is multiplied fruit, and there is uh, a growing um, display of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus, finally, they love one another. You read 1 through 11 today up here. And in verse 12, Jesus says, And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Through this whole discourse, this whole evening, Jesus has said to his disciples in multiple different places, multiple different ways, Disciples love one another. This is the new thing I have for you. Chapter 13, verse 31. Excuse me, 34 to 35. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, and um, and you also are to love one another. By this shall people know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. 14, verse 15. He says again, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 20 and 21. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and that you are in me, and that I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, 
and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see how he needed an illustration to put these things together? He needed an illustration to make this really clear in the minds of his disciples. Verse 31 of chapter 14. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then he says, rise, let's go from here. Gives them the illustration of the vine. The end of that, he says, now listen. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Friends, today, Jesus is calling you and me to love him, to trust him, and to obey him. Apart from him, we might last a, a day or two, but we'll just be a branch that's, that's useless. With him, as a believer in Jesus, you are my king, you are my only hope, you are my help in life, everything for me. We have the potential to bear fruit and to grow in godliness. We have the potential to understand what it means to have real lasting joy, to be the people we were designed to be, to grow into his image. Second Corinthians 5 says that we are a new creation. We're becoming new. We're being made new. New again. Today, I believe that God word, God's word is clear for us. I believe that Jesus' word and his to disciples was very clear. The work of God in Christ is our unchanging truth, but our abiding in Christ, our communion with Christ through the word and through prayer, um, and, and this response in prayer is what produces this lasting joy. Jesus is asking his followers, and now his friends, he says, I've called you friends now, and he's asking them um, to come into intimate fellowship with him, to obey him, obey the words of the Father, just like he did. Jesus is asking his friends to trust him and obey. That's the refrain you hear in the Old Testament. That's the refrain that we need to hear today. Trust me and obey. He is a God that is far beyond what we imagine to be faithful. He is steadfast. He is faithful. He does not change. And it is because of who he is that we can listen to what Jesus says and obey. He says, keep my commandments. Do what I have told you to do, and you will have fellowship. It's because of this faithful God that we can trust him, and we can obey. We can respond to his work in us, our union with Christ. He's made us one in Christ, and we can respond in obedience. Because of that, we can bear fruit, we can grow, we can have joy. After these events, Jesus goes to the cross. He's the one that is placed on the cross and is scarred so that we might be brought in. He's the one that took the pain and the guilt and the suffering that we deserved so that we could be made useful again. So that we could not only be made useful, but be made joyfully useful. God wants us to experience the same fellowship he had with his Father. And today, I remind you, if you're in Christ, you can have joy. If you haven't had that joy lately, all it is 
is turning again to the fact that we are useless. We can't do this. We can't produce the joy on our own. It's in Jesus. And going again to his word, hearing it, loving it, and adoring him. Maybe you don't see the end. Maybe it's difficult, but trust him. Trust him and obey. Okay.